Here they're in the book of Ezra. Last week we had a lesson from Ezra chapters 1 through 6, and it was kind of the overview of, of going back to rebuild the temple. And uh, just to kind of bring, bring everybody up to speed, maybe you missed that lesson. But if you remember, the children of Israel taken into captivity, the Judah, uh, the the, the nation of Judah was taken into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar brought them back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar dies. His son's going to reign. His son's going to be, his son's going to die. He's going to be, um, um, basically, his, 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 and by son and his grandson, actually. But uh, Belshazzar is going to be taken into captivity, and he's going to be killed. He's going to be executed by the Persian king Cyrus. Cyrus is going to take over, and Cyrus is going to rule. Under Cyrus's reign, Cyrus ruled by... Um, uh, assimilation rather than domination, okay? So the Babylonians were all about domination. We're going to conquer you, we're going to destroy your stuff, and you're going to come back with us, and you're now going to be what we are. The, the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire, they were more assimilation, which was, we're going to come in, we're going to take over you, and as long as you pay taxes and you kind of, you know, put some of our gods in your temples, we'll put some of your gods in our temples, and we'll all be one big, huge, happy, uh, subservient family, but you're still family to us. You know, we're, we're all good. Um, now, Cyrus was very big about um, infrastructure. That's kind of a big buzzword right now, right? Infrastructure. Build back better. That was Cyrus's plan. And so, uh, so he spent a lot of money to build back the empire better. And so part of that money he was spending was to build back the cities that his predecessors had destroyed. And one of those cities was Jerusalem. He wanted to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So Cyrus issues the decree we looked at last week, which was go back, rebuild the temple, reinstate, you know, get, get things back. I don't want to make any gods mad, especially not the God of heaven. So they sent that back under Cyrus. And if you remember, a big group of people went back underneath a guy named Zerubbabel. They all went back, uh, 40 some odd thousand people, about 50,000 people all went back and they started working. When they got there, it was a mess. All that junk was all piled up on top of the Temple Mount. They had to clean that off. They, the foundations cleaned up. It took them months just to get enough space cleaned out to be able to set up their own houses to have a kind of a base area to work from. They work and they work and they work. And while they're working on it, remember last week we talked about that some of those people around them were causing problems. One of those problems they tried to cause was through legislation. And they went to the king and said, hey, these guys are saying that you're not the king, that their God is the king. And you're not the king of kings. Their God is the king of kings. And uh, word got back to King Darius, or Darius, but King Darius from the same Darius that's in the book of Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den, that Darius, same king. This is Cyrus's, okay, this gets a little bit tough. Cyrus had a son, and Cyrus's son's going to rule at the same time that Cyrus rules. They're kind of co-rulers. Cyrus decided to go off and fight against the Greeks for... Uh, uh, I don't know, expansion purposes, or maybe he needed more money. He goes and fights the Greeks. Bad idea, he gets killed. So now his son is the sole ruler of the Persian Empire, but he's not very good. This, his, his daughter, Cyrus's daughter, was married to King Darius, okay? Darius, at the time, was actually, he was called a spear bearer, but uh, Cyrus's son, let me get these names all right for you so we get this correct, because this gets crazy. Okay, so Cambius. Cambius co-ruled with his dad eight years. He's down in Egypt. His dad's over in present-day Greece. In Greece, he gets defeated, unfortunately. He dies. Word gets down to Cambius in Egypt. Hey, we got to get back up there. You're going to rule. On their way back, somehow, someway, he gets cut in the leg. Lots of stories about how this happened. Maybe a sword came through the scabbard on his saddle and cut his leg. Maybe he was out and he slipped and fell and cut his leg. Maybe a young upstart with a spear who happened to be the lance carrier, the spear carrier, may have poked him in the leg. Whatever the case, he gets poked in the leg, gets gangrene. Eleven days later, he dies. Someone's got a rule. 
And it just so happens that there's a young man who happened to have a spear who happened to be right there when the last guy died <laughs> who said, hey, I can do this. And so he kind of takes over. And so Darius is the new king. He was married to Cyrus's daughter. So because of that relation, that familial relationship, that kind of made it legitimate, so to speak, that he could be the new king. And so he takes over. And so, so he's going to, he's kind of takes over. Now in the there was a slight interim time, so if you're trying to keep track, like if you're trying to use timelines and keep track of like dates and stuff, there was another son, Cambian's brother, a guy named Barium, who kind of ruled for a year. He was actually inside the city proper, so in the meantime of trying to get up from Egypt and trying to get back from Persia, everybody's dead, someone's got to rule. It's not like today where you can jump on a plane and get where you're going, take some time. So in the interim, uh, this other guy ruled. Darius comes up, he takes over. Now when Darius gets there, he says, stop building the temple, we're done. Okay, we're not doing Cyrus, yeah, great idea. We're not wasting money on infrastructure, we're wasting money on war for now. And so they stop all the, all the infrastructure projects, he stops building the roads, takes over. So they stop building the temple. This is important because part of stop, stop all this infrastructure means that the money that they had, that supply of money that was like, hey, whatever you need, we'll pay for it, that stopped. So now we've got this group of 50,000 some odd people that are in Jerusalem that now have houses established that if now they've got the, the temple mount cleaned off and they've got the walls built up for, now not Nehemiah's walls, these are the walls of the, of the temple proper temple's built, but they're not actually using the temple yet. I mean, it's, it's there, the, the, the shell is there, but it's not being used. Uh, several of you have been coming to this church for several years, and you might remember back like in, I tried to look it up, I think it was 2010, we had the walls built on this building that we're sitting in. For a long time, it was just like the steel walls. And then we got the brick on the walls, and we had the steel studs inside, and we were working on different things. And then a county inspector came out and said, nope, we have to stop all progress on this building. And so we got stopped and then the building sat, nothing being changed on this building. For several years, we were unable to move forward on this building until we could get new plans done and new stamps done. And, new st and so we were kind of, in a, kind of in a waiting pattern where we had this, the building was basically here, the brick was on the building, the windows were in, the doors were in, you could come in here and it was concrete. Um, I still remember bringing the school kids in here before this was an auditorium, and these walls didn't have drywall on them, they were just studs, and we would play like hide-and-go-seek or capture the flag and stuff through the walls. Uh, in fact, I was talking to my brother-in-law, Ace, he came running through one of these walls on this side in one of the games, and I can't remember if it was Pastor who was chasing him or if he was running toward Pastor to not be chased. I know Ace was involved, Pastor was involved, steel studs were involved, and if you ever see a steel stud, they're cup-shaped and they've got little metal edges on them. He came running through and hit his hand on the steel stud and there was blood and it was very exciting. And so, like, it was fun, but the building couldn't be used for what it was being used for. We couldn't use it. And so we're kind of in this holding pattern. Meanwhile, we're still meeting in what's now our, our gymnasium next door. That was the church auditorium. For years, we're in this holding pattern. Well, that's what's happened to the children of Israel. These, 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 um, these Judeans that have come back and they've established houses, they started working on the tabernacle or on the temple, they don't get to go forward. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. Now, under Darius, Darius did this thing where he had these guys called sit reps. A sit rep was basically like a king. That was, today, we maybe use the term a governor. And so, underneath Darius, he had these different guys, these various guys that would kind of rule different things. Remember when Daniel was in there, how Daniel was the, the prince of the princes, and there were three princes under Daniel, and then under Daniel, there were a bunch of other princes that were all underneath. It's like, 
that's kind of how his government worked out. So Darius is like, you know, big man on campus. Underneath him, he had some guys that kind of ruled underneath him. There were guys that kind of ruled underneath him. And so that was kind of their, their, their breakdown. Now, it might look appealing to be one of those guys, but those guys often were the guys that got executed if things didn't go right. So you didn't really want to be those guys. Uh, never, never ends well. There's no way to, you know, no promotions. And uh, unless the guy ahead of you, get, you know, and then you get promoted till, you know, you're the next one. So didn't go so good for him. So one of these guys underneath him was a guy named Xerxes, and then we're going to also have Artaxerxes. And so that's where we're going to pick up our narrative today, Ezra chapter 7. So understand where we're at. Darius is the big bad king. Underneath him, we got these sit reps. One of those is this guy named Artaxerxes, chapter 7. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and notice it's, it's important that we have that king of Persia in there. So Artaxerxes is ruling Persia. That's that state, that region of the big government. Uh, Darius is on, is, he's about to, at this point, I tried to find out if he was still alive or if he had died yet. I cannot find out definitively whether or not Darius is still alive or whether or not Darius has died yet. I, I, I can't tell. It's not super clear, and the timeline gets a little bit screwy because most of the guys who wrote the timeline were those princes that got killed. So, um, like, putting hard, fast dates to things is kind of tough. So, anyhow, Artaxerxes is here. He's in Persia. Uh, now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Shariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of uh, Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of uh, Zariah, the son of Uzzi Uzziah, sorry, the son of uh, Bukiah. And again, we're going to work our way down. This is important. And so all these names are in here. Notice where we get to now. Verse 5. The son of Ashbiah, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. So what we're establishing here is that Ezra's great, 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 great grandpa was Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, whose son was Eleazar, which brought about the Eleazar priesthood. And then you can see that he's also in his family line. Remember, Phineas is the one who, when they were out worshiping or when they were out um, commingling with the Midianites, uh, Phineas is the one that took that javelin and went to the tent. And there was that, that very great father of the, of the people who wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, repent. And so he came up and got javelin through him and his Midianitish girlfriend. <laughs> they both got stabbed by Phineas. That was Phineas who was zealous for the Lord. That's in Ezra's bloodline, right? That's where this line comes through. And you'll also notice there was another guy in here. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, Hilkiah, uh, back in there, the, the son of Hilkiah. That Hilkiah, if you go to the book of Jeremiah, and we read in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is also a son of Hilkiah, okay? So his great, 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 great uncle would have been Jeremiah the weeping prophet, right? So when we start putting all those things together, you kind of see where these different guys uh, break down and all this. And so we... Uh, he's, got, he's got decent stock here as, as a priest. Here's Ezra, and down in verse number 7. And there went up some of the children of Israel, and the priests, and the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the Nephethim, to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. So understand what's happening here. Ezra's like, hey, we've got a temple in Jerusalem. Let's go worship God in the temple. We gave all this money years ago. We gave all this stuff. Let's go down. By now, surely they've got the temple done. Again, it's not like they have Facebook or text messages or anything else. It's really hard to get messages back and forth. 
They're thinking, hey, this stuff must be going good. So they load up, they head down there to go and worship God in the temple. So they're en route to go down there. Verse number 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments. So basically, Ezra says, I'm going to go back to Israel, and I'm going to be a priest in the temple, this newly constructed temple that should be done by now. I'm going to head down there, I'll be the priest, and I'm bringing with me all these Levites, these singers, these porters, these guys are going to carry stuff for us. We're going to go down, we're going to establish temple worship in Israel. Unfortunately, when he gets there, we're going to find out that nobody's using the temple for what it's supposed to be used for. It's, it's a nice building, but it's just a building. It's, it's very, um, I mean, it's got the vessels, it's got the golden bowls, it's got the golden cups, it's got all the stuff that Solomon had prepared that, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken, that Cyrus had sent back. It's all there, but nobody's using it. Um, uh, to me, it's kind of sad when you see like a, a house that somebody constructed and it's a nice house, but nobody's living in it, right? They, they did all this work and someone put a lot of effort into this, but it's not being used. That's what's happened to the temple here. And Ezra's on his way back and we're going we're gonna to look at uh, what's going to happen when Ezra gets back today. Before we do, let's pray. Father, I do pray that you'd help us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, not to, not to be guilty of the same thing that these people in Judah were guilty of, Lord, having a, having a form of godliness, Lord, having the shell of, of, of religion around us, but not worshiping you, not serving you like we should. I, I pray that you'd help us not to be content with accomplishing things, Lord, but help us to be content with, with truly worshiping and following you. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to see the difference this morning. And I pray for this in your son's name. Amen. Before we really get rolling about what Ezra's going to do, a little bit about Ezra. Uh, we mentioned that he was a priest. Um, there are a couple other things that it talks about Ezra. And, and uh, if you have your lesson there, um, right in the very beginning, it says, overview of worship restored. Who was Ezra? He was a priest. He was also a scribe. Understand the scribes were the guys who would take God's law and they would recopy it down. So they would write it out. They would copy it down. In our Bible, or my, I guess it would be Bible Doctrines College class, we looked a lot about how, or we looked into a lot about how these guys, how their job was to copy it down and how extensive just copying the Bible actually was for these guys. And it was very, uh, you didn't make mistakes. You didn't want to make a mistake. One ink blot or one miss, miss up in there, the entire document has to be trashed. Now, most of us in here, you remember being back in school when you had to handwrite papers or maybe you had to use like a typewriter or something. Um, I, I was in the generation where we were getting into computers and so we could like write things on computers, but most of my teachers still wanted stuff handwritten, like handwritten papers. Now as a teacher, I prefer things typed out and just type it. It's a lot easier to read and I don't have to try to guess through all of your, I'd rather just have it typed. But um, these guys had to handwrite everything, and there was nothing, nothing worse than writing out a whole paper and getting all the way down almost to the end and making a mistake. Um, some teachers allowed white out. Some teachers, you could kind of squeal. If you had to write it in pen, though, and you couldn't use the erasable ink, that really stunk. Either you're going to take a couple-point hit by squiggling out the word and writing the next word beside it, and you lose some points, or <sighs> fresh sheet of paper, your name, the date at the top, and here we go again. Let's write this all out nice and neat and make it look good. Oh, so much work. Nothing. Well, that's what, that's what the scribes had to do. They had to copy out God's word, and you, there was no room for a mistake. You couldn't say, oops, or blot it out, or draw an arrow up to the one that you meant. To, you couldn't do that in God's word. That wasn't okay. It's like, nope, that's bad. And, and it's like extensive. Like, they had to take, like, it was like ceremonial bathing. They had to bath, take a bath seven times 
And then they could sit down and finally sit down to, in special clothes. They could sit down and they could start writing this out. If they made a mistake, first they destroyed the mistake. They destroyed the whole document they had been working on. Then they had to go in and they had to uh, wash those clothes. Then it's seven baths in repentance for making the mistake and washing away the sin that they had committed by missing up God's word. Then, all right, hold on. Now I can go back to work. So now I take seven more baths to get purified so I'm ready to go again. And then I go back and I sit down in my new fresh set of clothes and I sit down, fresh sheet of vellum or whatever I'm writing on, my fresh papyrus or whatever, whatever they're copying it down onto. Sit down, get my ink all ready, get all ready to go and I dip it in and bring it across and oh, ink dot. Are you kidding me? Here we go again. <laughs> like, ah! Like, ah. Oh. So these guys are very, very, very meticulous. It doesn't take very many times of having to go through that before you figure out really quick, like, you know what? This is just not worth this. I think I'm going to find out an easier way or a better way. I'm not doing this. It was tough to be a scribe. Not only was he a priest and a scribe, you can see he's going to study God's will. He's going to want to know what does God want us to do. And we're going to see this phrase that Ezra's going to use, the good hand of our God, God's hand. And he was very cognizant of God's leading and God's, God's moving throughout his life. Uh, we saw that here in verse number 10. Um, uh, sorry, in, uh, in, uh, I skipped over it where it said, the good hand of my Lord was upon me. And we're gonna, if we jump all the way down to verse number 28, we're going to see it again. Uh, and he extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of, out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Very cognizant. God's the one leading us. This is God's hand that's guiding us. God's providing for us. In fact, in the little passage here, there's a decree of, of Artaxerxes. And, and Artaxerxes basically is going to say, listen, um, so my, great, my grandpa, so remember, Darius is married to Cyrus's daughter. And now their kid is Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes' grandpa would be Cyrus and his dad would be Darius. And he says, hey, my dad, my grandpa, they wanted this thing built. I'm going to go ahead and finish it out. Yeah, definitely. Let's pay whatever money we have to pay, whatever's going to make this happen faster. Let's do it. Let's get this done. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to work his way through to get this done. In fact, just look at verse 17. Uh, it says, And that thou mayest buy speedily with this money, bullocks, rams, lambs, and the meat offerings and the drink offerings, and offer upon the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. He says, hey, I'm going to give this to you. Uh, look at verse number 18. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold that do after the will of your God. Basically, he says, hey, I'm going to give you a blank check. You go down there, I'm going to give you a checkbook full of blank checks. I'm just going to sign them all. You do whatever you've got to do. Let's just get this done. Let's get it done quickly. Let's get it done speedily. If you need to buy rams, buy rams. If you need to buy gold, buy gold. If you need to buy some vessels or oil or whatever, you do whatever you need to do. Just let's get your God worshiped and let's get it done quick. I mean, that's what's going on. And Ezra's here like, wow, I can see God's hand is in this. I can see God is moving in this. I can see God is providing this. I can see God's bringing all these pieces together so we can get this going. If you've been keeping up with, as Brother uh, Abshindik's been talking about, like, Capital City and these different times and these different things. I was sitting in the service the other night when he was talking about, like, the different money that was going in there. And, like, like man, you know, God's really providing. I mean, $1,000 here, $10,000 there, $30,000 here, $10,000 there, $5,000. Wow. I mean, Lord's really blessing. We see the good hand of God Amen. in the provision. And if next, is it this, this coming Saturday? This coming Saturday. Oh, wow. This coming Saturday is coming fast. <laughs> we'll have to get our trailer over there. <laughs> 
So this coming Saturday uh, is the open house over there, right? So we're going to go in there, and, and if you've not been there for a little bit, you'll be able to go over and see all the improvements and all the stuff that's been done. Uh, if you remember what it looked like before when it was like little narrow hallways and all those little rooms and dentist chairs sitting there and, 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 and the transformation that's taken place in this building. But just having a building and just having the funds to run a church right. does not in and of itself make this a house of God yet. Okay, it's not the house of God. It's not a house of God until people are there worshiping God. That's what makes the house of God the house of God, right? It's, the church is not the building. The church is we, the people. And as we assemble together, we become a church, right? We can meet in a tent. We're still a church. Uh, during COVID, we met in the parking lot. We're still a church. We're a church in a parking lot. You can be a church. We're, I mean, the church is just the, the group. The building itself doesn't matter. Now, again, it does. The building is kind of a... Uh, a nice day. It's kind of nice that there's a little bit of heat in here today and it's not, you know, freezing cold. It's nice that we're not sitting in snow right now. We could be if we were trying to have it outside somewhere. We could, it's, it's, a, it's a means to an end, but it's just that. It's a means to an end and the end is worship of God. They have the temple built there in, in Jerusalem, but it wasn't the house of God yet. It was just a building. A pretty building, a nice building, but just a building. Ezra comes back there with the people and they're going to worship God. And the reason this is going to happen is because he's going to work his way through. Now, to me, the key is what Ezra wanted to do in chapter 7, verse 10. It's also our memory verse that we went over, but we're going to come back to that key verse. That's, that's, really, what's going to, that's really what's going to get there. Before we do, I need you to hold your place here. Flip with me over to the book of John. John chapter number 4. We're going to see what Jesus says about worship, just a little bit about worship. Ironically, King Cyrus was there fighting against the, the Greeks. After King Cyrus fought against the Greeks, this same Artaxerxes that's here, this Artaxerxes is going to make it his life mission to um, vindicate, to uh, get revenge on the people that killed his grandpa. So he's going to go back and he's going to fight against the Greeks. And he's going to have several battles against the Greeks. Some went really well. Some, not so good. We talk about our marathon today, that 26-mile marathon. That was Artaxerxes that fought in the marathon. And the Greek guys ran 26 miles to go get help, right? So, so some went really, really well. Some not so well. One of the ones that went really well is he fought against a city called Mastodon, or we would call it today Macedonia. He fought against them, and he killed this dude named Philip. and killed him off like, oh, you, you're part of the ones who do this. So he killed him off, and then he left. Well, that Philip was the dad of another guy named Philip, who was Philip II, who was the dad of another guy we know today as Alexander the Great, who's going to come back when Alexander the Great, when they come in, they're going to cause their people to intermarry with the people that they're around to kind of help fix the cities so that you don't have this problem. One of those cities, one of those times they did it was in Judea in the city of Samaria. John chapter number four, we're dealing with a lady whose ancestry is one of those descendants of those Greek soldiers under Alexander the Great who had come into the city of Samaria and they had crossed with some of the Jewish people and we come across this half-breed race of Samaritans, half Greek, half Jewish, um, these Samaritans. And they're not, they're not welcome amongst the Greeks because they worship God, Jehovah. They're not welcome amongst the Jewish people because, I mean, you're half Greek. And so 
of these Samaritans that aren't allowed to worship either way. And Jesus comes and meets this woman. Uh, we call her the woman of the well. He's going to come. Verse number seven. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. And so he meets this woman of Samaria. In fact, she's shocked. Verse nine. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And again, this is, this is going through here, and he's, he's talking to her, and, and of course she's going to say, I, I don't have a husband. He's going to say, yeah, you said right. You don't have a husband. You've got several. You, know, you have five, and the one you're with is not your husband now. And so we're going to jump down in verse number 20. Verse number 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And again, she's talking about the temple. She says, hey, we used to worship in this mountain. Now, you say the only place to worship God is in the temple, but can't we worship God wherever? And Jesus can explain to her what worship is. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Now the... the the truth that Jesus was saying there is the day is coming where it's not going to be whether you worship in the mountains of uh, outside Samaria or whether you worship in the temple of Jerusalem, you'll be able to worship God anywhere. And that day now is, okay? The day is, is now. We can worship God wherever. We are the temple of God, right? The Holy Spirit's inside us. So we, you and I, we're the temple. So now we get to worship God. Wherever my body is, I can worship God. I don't have, my body can be in Jerusalem, my body can be in Lawrence, Kansas. My body is the temple of God. So the temple of God right now is in this room. I'm right here. So I am the temple of God. I can worship God. And guess what? You're also the temple of God. You can worship God wherever your temple happens to be too. So it doesn't matter where you are, you can worship God. Back in Ezra, it did matter where the temple was. And it was, it was kind of a factor here. Where is the temple to worship God? I'm going to go back in there. So if we are the temple of God today, you're the temple of God, I'm the temple of God, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Wouldn't it be really sad if you and I were kind of like that empty building in Jerusalem that no worship was taking place in? We look at these guys and say, come on, what are you thinking? It's been years. You've had this temple built, and you're not even serving God. And you're not even worshiping God in there. And yet, you and I, here we are in our bodies. We can worship God wherever. I don't have to travel anywhere. I can worship God. When I first wake up, I can worship God right before I go to bed. I can worship God throughout the entire day. And yet, here are our bodies built to worship. But we don't. Let's jump back now to Ezra. True worshipers worship God in spirit and truth. Ezra chapter number 10, or sorry, Ezra chapter number 7, verse number 10. It's our memory verse. We're going to close out with this little section here. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. So how do I worship God today? If I'm supposed to, if I am the temple of God, what do I do? First thing, I've got to prepare my heart. I've got to prepare my heart to seek the Lord. Now, Jesus said, true worship, worship him in spirit and truth. Spirit is when we pray to God. Truth is God's word. As I read God's word, that's the truth. Thy word is truth. So as I read God's word, I'm worshiping God. As I pray to God, I'm worshiping God. And as I have this, 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 uh, this idea of, of awareness of God's presence, that's what worship brings about. I know God is here. I know God is helping me. I know God is is. is present in what I'm doing. I know there is a plan for God. That's why he says, the good hand of my God was with me. I know God was with me. I know God was leading me. I know God was guiding me and all this. That's what true worship brings about. First step, he prepared his heart. 
we're going to worship God today, we've got to prepare our hearts. It's going to take time. I've got to make sure my heart is right. As a scribe, Ezra knew what it meant to prepare your heart. Seven baths, just before you could even start to dip your little pen in the ink. Like, yeah, it's preparing your heart. And if we're going to worship God today, I'm going to have to prepare my heart. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. I can't have active sin in my life and then try to worship God. This is God's temple. What? No, you're not. You're the temple of God. I can't be doing active sin in the temple of God and expect God to honor that or to be present with me in this temple of God. I've got to prepare my heart. The second thing, it says you pray to start to seek the law of the Lord. The second step is, when we were first to prepare my heart, then it's all about God's word, the law of the Lord. For him, it was the Old Testament. For us, it's the whole Bible. I've got the law of the Lord right here. All the guidelines and everything I'm ever going to need and everything I'm going to need to know and everything I'm going to need to do is right here in this book. I've got the rule book. I've got the instruction book. So I've got to prepare my heart. Then I've got to seek the law of the Lord. Let's see, sometimes we come, we sit, we hear, but that's it. But look at the next step. He says, to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Now that's the tough part. And I think that's sometimes where the wheels come off this thing. We seek God and we read God's word and we know what we're supposed to do, but do we do it? I know I'm supposed to be the temple of God. I know I'm supposed to pray to God. I know I'm supposed to read God's word, but do I do it? And that's where it gets tough. I think most of us, we, we kind of give our, cut ourselves, you know, give ourselves a grain of salt. We give ourselves a little bit of slack. Oh, I'm a pretty good Christian. That's good. I read my Bible. Well, when was the last time you read your Bible? How much Bible have you read? How much do you truly worship God? I'm like, well... I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm decent. We, we cut ourselves a pretty decent grain of, uh, you know. I've got to go to my doctor on Tuesday. I have high blood pressure, and he's going to be asking me how much I'm exercising. How am I doing on my diet? Am I taking my pills like I'm supposed to be? And some of those questions I'm not really looking forward to having to answer because I think I'm doing pretty good, but when I sit down there in the chair across from him, I'm not doing as good as I probably should be. Yeah, I'm probably eating a lot more red meat than I should be, Doc. I'm sorry. Can we just up those cholesterol pills and I just keep eating the steak, you know? Can we fix this, you know? Hey, to do it. And then it brings about to teach, to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments. And that has to do with us telling others about God. Ezra said, hey, I'm going to tell others. Why are we handing out flyers all over Topeka? To teach others. Right? To teach, to teach, to teach. That's what it's all about. It's not necessarily like standing up in front of a room and trying to teach people. This can be just teaching like just, hey kids, we're not going to do this because this doesn't honor God. What did I do? I taught. That is true worship. The day will come, and that day now is, when we must worship God in spirit and in truth. We look at Ezra, and I, I scratch my head when I look at these, these people from Judah. I'm like, why couldn't you guys worship? For years, this temple sat vacant. Come on, guys. What's going on? And I judge them so quickly. And then I look at my own life. And I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I am the temple of God. And how much time do I waste where I'm not using the temple as it was purposed to be?